0: Well, good morning. A couple items of news for you this morning. One is I'm using a new Bible, so I'm breaking it in on you. So if something goes wrong with today's message, it's the Bible's fault. (laughs) Thought maybe God was going to strike me down for that. Yeah, thank you. Very cute. Very, very cute. Uh, no, that's, that's good, that's good. Uh, It's good. It is a new Bible, but it says the same thing as the other one, so we're good. Um, so uh, it has been a great joy to be with you uh, back in May and June, and then through the fall, and these uh, last week, and then this week. And so I'm um, wrapping it up, and there will be uh, Christmas things happening, and someone else here in January... February, I think maybe into March, so um, anyway, it's been a great joy. You are a praying church, and uh, I, have, I have heard that years ago in my affiliation within our uh, movement, the Christian Missionary Alliance. I have realized it in a new way, having been here. Um, I say that because I feel like I need your prayers, um, literally, literally. As I drove through Monticello this morning, my wife called me to inform me that my mother-in-law is in her last days, maybe her last hours. And so uh, my wife is in Ohio with the family at the moment, and so we are making all the necessary plans. And so if you could join us in prayer, that would would be much appreciated in these days. We started a, a little series of reflections on Christmas last time talking about the rush of Christmas, not the rush that you and I are familiar with as we scramble towards December 25th, but a rush found here in the Scriptures. And once again today, as we're in Luke chapter 2, we're going to find a rush of people, not toward Christmas, the holiday, but toward Christ, the person. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to spend about 20 minutes or so in this text, and then we're going to make a transition uh, into something else, uh, this service. And so we're going to give some time for some activity at the end, which some of you are aware of. We'll, we'll get you up to speed in a moment. But let's pray as we get started. Father, all of us come to these kind of moments with burdens and heaviness and sometimes joy and excitement, but we come with something. Life isn't neutral as we enter into these moments of worship, and we have prayed through song, come, Lord Jesus, come, Holy Spirit, come. And so, God, meet us where we're at. This is the wonder of our God, that you don't ask us to get everything in the right places and packed in the right way, and then we come, you come, and you meet us. So thank you for that. Lord, in a few moments of our time together around your word, would you just highlight some key things, reminders for us? Reminders for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray and amen. So we go through the calendar, right? Year after year. And somehow, every year in December, Christmas comes. Insert... Christmas trees and tinsel and holly and bows and wrapping paper and bells and candles and cookies and reindeer and the list goes on. And we do everything we can to sparkle Christmas. But few of the contemporary trappings of Christmas actually are found in the first Christmas. In fact, it's almost antithetical to the reality of Christmas the Christmas story in the scripture there's very little dazzle the only dazzle in the Christmas story we'll see it today in our text and if you were reading the book of Luke starting with chapter 1 you would know that this is a, the introduction of the story of a king and yet when you get to chapter 2 verse 8 the author seems to make a very obtuse, angled turn in the narrative. You're reading along about this Jesus who's going to be born in Nazareth, and mother and father are traveling there because of a census. And then in the middle of this story about the birth of a king, the author of Luke, Luke says these words, verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, why would Luke introduce shepherds to the birth story of a king? We know a little bit about shepherds, and I won't labor long here because you know much about them probably already. Sheep are very important to the culture at the time because of the wool and the meat. But most importantly, sheep are involved in the ceremonial sacrifices in the temple. And so it was very common for flocks of sheep to be Uh, herded around the city of Jerusalem to be available for those ceremonial services. The work of a shepherd, of course, was pretty dirty. They were known in the first century to be cheats. They were known to manipulate. They were not favored within society. They were doing the job that a child could do. They were not uh, economically rich. They were not educated folks. And they would huddle around Jerusalem and during the day they would take their particular flock out to graze and then they would come back and they would meet often in an area just outside Bethlehem called Magdal Eater. There was a watchtower there where the, sh- the shepherds could not only you know, start a fire and share their stories from their day, but one sh- shepherd could go up into the watchtower and watch and protect all of the sheep and all of the flock so other shepherds could sleep. And so here they gathered this ragtag band of shepherds for their typical evening watch. And the text says that while they were keeping watch on their flocks at night, verse, ange- or verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. In the Old Testament, there's a text that talks about a darkness that was felt I suspect that here we're dealing with a a light that could be felt. No shadows. Think of of a world with no shadows. There's no depth perception when you don't have shadows. There's no one single source for the light. And here the light shone around them in such a way there were no shadows. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were... Terrified. They'd never seen anything like this before. Why would the Lord show up to shepherds? Why not reach out to the kings of the world? After all, Jesus is a king. Why not reach out to the kings? Why not the princes? Why not the wealthy? Why not the educated? Get the the scholars in the first century, get them to come to the birth of Christ because once they had beheld the, the Christ child, they could write it down eloquently. They could tell the story convincingly. So, why bother with shepherds? Well, maybe the answer to the question is says less about the shepherds and more about Christ. When LeBron James plays basketball with children, it is saying more about LeBron James than the children. When Jesus Christ welcomes outcasts, welcomes the helpless and the hopeless, the poor and the destitute. It says more about Christ than it does the people that are there. Does that make sense? It says more about Jesus that we are here than it says about us being here. The glorious message of the Savior's birth comes to shepherds to demonstrate the glory of Christ himself. In verse 10 now, here are these shepherds out in their fields. They're awakened, startled, shocked by the bright light of an angel. And now, the angel is actually going to speak. Verse 10, The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The angel now is speaking words, do not be afraid. It's the most common command in all of Scripture. 360 sometimes the Scriptures say, do not be afraid. Right. If you're sitting there and the light opens up, there's no shadows in the land and an angel is before you in all of the splendor and glory and is speaking to you, right, don't be afraid. You tell me how that goes for you. But the angel's message is what's so significant. Why is it that the angel can say, you don't need to be terrified in this status, just because of this, because there is good news that it causes great joy for all the people. And you thought Christmas was just a nuisance. It's not. It's, It's about good news for all the people. What kind of good news? Well, there's great joy Do you know that kind of joy? Psychologist William Marston asked over 3,000 people, what do you live for? And he was shocked to discover that 94% of the people said this, quote, that they are enduring the present while waiting for the future. What... They're waiting to, to win the lottery or something to show up to give them joy. In the meantime, they're just enduring the present, waiting for something to lift them from the doldrums of life and raise the level of gladness. Waiting for a new job or a new house, a new boss, more money, more things, more behaved kids. Waiting for the kids to grow up, waiting for the kids to leave the house, waiting for grandkids, waiting to know it all, waiting to get in shape, waiting for more hair, waiting for pain to go away, waiting for McDonald's to deliver. I don't know. Friends, spread the word. The wait is over. There is a message of great joy for all the world. Let's not be selfish with that. It's a message for everybody. How do we know? How do we know it's a message for everybody? I answered that already. Because shepherds are there. You know why Luke introduced us to the shepherds to convince you and me of the veracity of this story that there is great joy for all people even shepherds Hmm. why is there great joy that's the next question if there's great joy for all the people why Well, it's verse 11 today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, he is Christ, the Lord. A Savior has been born, one who rescues and saves and delivers. Archaeologists inform us that in the city of Rome, at the time of Christ's birth, on some of the ancient ruins, Caesar Augustus carried the title Savior of the World. While Caesar Augustus was in Rome celebrating himself as Savior of the world, the true Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem in obscurity. There is only one true Savior, and He has been born for you. God in His infinite wisdom and compassion sent a Savior to meet the greatest need of humanity, the need for forgiveness and peace with God. This, my friends, is the message of hope. But it's also a message of peace. If you continue in the story, verse 12, this will be assigned to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We know that part of the story, right? And then something else happens in verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts, the, the one One angel now has multiplied, and the choir, which auditioned in heaven for all of eternity, now is present, visible to our unsuspecting shepherds. And here the heavenly host appeared, and the angels were praising God, and this was their anthem. Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. This is a message of joy, it's a message of hope, it's a message of of peace, not Pax Romana peace, outward, external peace, but a deeper, inward peace. One historian referring to this very time in history says this about the Roman state. Taxes were high, he says. Unemployment was high, the moral standards were sinking, and the military state was in control. Roman military, Greek philosophy, and Jewish law could not meet the needs of man's heart. So God did it. Romans chapter 5 verse 1, having been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Shalom, peace, security, stability, rest with God. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like the world that I live in. In fact, if I pay attention to the news, it seems like everything in our existence is making a mockery of the angel's song. The world we occupy suffers much from tribulation, and although conflict seems unrelenting, Although history of humanity is marred with painful struggle, although disaster greets the earth dwellers at every turn, and although our existence seems heavy with burden and wrought with war, and while God's shalom seems obscured by hardship, the final note of crescendo in humanity's great symphony will be the angel's anthem, Peace on Earth. The Savior will redeem and silence all the foes, Sin and all the struggle it stirs will be settled. Peace will rule because the Prince of Peace will reign. And we must keep that vision before us. Amidst all of the twinkle of lights and dazzle of this day, there will be peace. Verse 15 follows, When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. I don't know, choir of angels singing in the sky, bright lights, glory and splendor. I would have said, hey man, get your lawn chair, we're here for a while. But the angels, the message was never about the angels. I have a dog, her name is Layla. And when I point, I go, go over there. She looks at my hand. It's never the intent. She's supposed to look in the direction of the hand. The angels here are pointing to something. Don't look at the angels. Don't study the angels alone. They're merely pointers to something else in Bethlehem. In verse 16, so the shepherds hurried off. There's the rush of Christmas. They hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and they went to him, and they saw Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. and when they saw him, they spread the word concerning him and what had been told them about the child. See, here's the scandal of Christmas. The scandal of Christmas is that the shepherds, society's outcasts, can come and worship this king. That he welcomes every scandalous story in the world. Come and bring your scandalous story right before the king of kings. And that says more about Jesus than it says about us. I like how Dietrich Bonhoeffer captured all of this in closing. Bonhoeffer said it this way, God turns towards the very place where humans turn away. God seems to turn towards the very place where humans turn away. Christmas is God turning toward humanity. Christmas is God entering the fray of our chaotic world with all of its disgust and foul realities. God came to rescue and redeem and restore. The child in a manger at Christmas is the enduring reminder that God hasn't given up on humanity, and He never will. Let's pray together. Father, help us this Christmas to press beyond the decorations, beyond the accessories of our celebration here, to be reminded of this simple truth that a Savior, a Rescuer, has been born for us. What a glorious message it is So let there be much joy, much hope, and much peace this Christmas because of the Christ child. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.